So if you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you would. That's where we'll spend our time together this morning, and it is jam-packed full of good stuff. So I'm going to try and get there quickly. But uh, to get us there, a few years ago, there was this huge survey done on uh, the kind of religious practices, attitudes, behaviors of children and adolescents, and it was called the National Study for Youth and Religion. Uh, At the time, and maybe still to this day, uh, I act like it was a long time ago. It was only within the last 10 years or so. Uh, It was the largest, most comprehensive study done on um, the religious attitudes, behaviors, all that, of children and adolescents. And uh, they found all kinds of information, all kinds of findings, and they've published like all kinds of books out of that. I mean, it's a huge study. Uh, But one of the things that they they came to in their study was they, they landed on what they believed was the most significant, what research said was the most significant influence in the religious lives of children and youth. And my guess is you know where I'm going with this, but I'm going to, this is the quote, uh, one of the articles that was written kind of out of this. It's from Christian Smith. He is a professor at sociology at Notre Dame, which means he's smarter than most of us in the room probably. Um, he says this, The empirical evidence is clear. In almost every case, no other institution or program comes close to shaping youth religiously as their parents do. Not religious congregations, youth groups, faith-based schools, uh, missions and service trips, summer camps, Sunday school, youth ministers, or anything else. Those influences can reinforce the influence of the parents, but almost never do they surpass or override it. So according to this huge, comprehensive, in-depth, long-term study, when it comes to the spiritual formation of children and youth, parents matter the most. That's what the research would say. There's no influence like parents, right? And, and the truth is this kind of confirms what hopefully we know to be true. Um, so here's the overarching point this morning. This is going to kind of, everything's going to fit under this umbrella. That as parents... As parents, we are called by God to be the primary influence in the spiritual lives of our children. Right? And it's not just me saying that. It's not just uh, a, a study or research project saying that. It is God's Word that says that to us. So uh, that gets us to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I told you I would get there quickly, and here we are. All right. So to give you some context, Deuteronomy, uh, it, the, the, the word Deuteronomy... Uh, literally means like second law or second telling of the law. So if you've ever read through your Bible and you got to Deuteronomy and you were like, this sounds familiar. I've read this before somewhere. You have. Okay. So all the, the law that you read about and kind of the back half of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, all that makes another appearance in the book of Deuteronomy because this is Moses giving a second telling of the law before Israel goes into the promised land. He's not allowed to go in, so this is before his death. He's kind of giving them one last reminder, in a sense. Okay, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. So we're going to start in verse 4 of chapter 6. We're going to read through it, and we're just going to unpack it for all it's worth. So starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So again, we're just going to walk through this this morning because it is full of stuff for us as parents, right? Mom and dad. So first look at the, back to verse four. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. This was a, just that one verse, that one phrase was called the Shema, which is a really fun word to say. You know you want to try it. Go ahead. Shema. There you go. All right. So the Shema was uh, what, what the Israelites, it was this phrase, this, basically a prayer they would repeat over and over and over again. Uh, it was to remind them of who God was. All right, they're, uh, this is you know, in a time where they're surrounded by other uh, nations and other peoples that, that worshipped other false little g gods. Uh, and so this was something that they would repeat to remind them that they worshipped the one true God. All right, this was what they would use to ground or center themselves in who God was, just a constant reminder of uh, the, the fact that, that God was supposed to be their lone object of worship. And then you jump to verse 5. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So if you're familiar with your Bible, you've probably heard that repeated a few times by uh, Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Right? It's this, um, this phrase that, that, that carries you know, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. So you got verse 4, the Shema, which was Israel being reminded of who God was. And then you got verse 5, which is their response to who God was. Right? So God was to be the lone object of their worship, verse 4. Verse 5, uh, the way that they worshiped them was to love God with all their heart, with all of their soul, with all their might, with like the totality of, of who they were. Right? And so... Um, in these first two verses are kind of the foundation for everything that's going to flow out of that. Right? Even the, uh, there's, there's some relational language here. If you look at verse, again, verses 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God. Right? There's a relationship there. The next verse, it says, You shall love the Lord, your God. Right? So this is not just, the, the point to see is that this is not just a God, this is, this is their God, right? He's not a distant, far-off uh, deity, unfamiliar to Israel. He is their God, right? It was God who, who made Israel a nation for himself, a people for his own possession, out of one man, Abraham, right? It's uh, the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, right? Delivered them from slavery. Uh, he's, he's gone with them in, uh, in a pillar of, of fire, Right? By night, and then uh, cloud by day and fire by night. He's the God who dwells with them in the tabernacle. So he is their God. All right, this is relational language. He's a God that they know. Not just a God that they know about, but a God that they know personally as he has revealed himself to them. And here's, here's why this is important. Because we're going to talk some parenting stuff, and we're going to talk family discipleship. But the important thing is, is before... Moses ever gives any commands for parents before he ever gives uh, any of the, the kind of here's what to do, right? He first emphasizes or reemphasizes to them the importance of their relationship with God. In other words, all the kind of nuts and bolts and practical things of parenting or of discipling our children are going to flow first out of our relationship 
with God. So that's the first point. Family discipleship overflows from your relationship with the Lord. Right? How many guys have ever flown on a commercial airline? All right, I haven't done it a lot, but I have a few times. Uh, and there's always that scene, uh, kind of at the beginning. I said scene because I immediately my mind went to Tommy Boy, which are, the similar scene is in that movie too. Uh, but where the, the flight instructor, or not the, I'm sorry, not the flight instructor, but the, uh, what are they called? Steward, steward, stewardesses, flight attendants. That's what I'm looking for, flight attendant. The flight attendant stands up front, um, and they go through the whole process. You know, here's what to do in the case of an emergency. And one of the things that comes up in that is they say, in the event of emergency, there's going to be oxygen masks that drop from overhead compartments, right? Um, and so one of the things they always say, or at least they used to say, I guess they still do, is that adults or parents are supposed to put that on first. And after you put on your oxygen mask, then you assist the children. And the point behind that is, if, if you're going to give the children what they need, like you've got to have it yourself first. That's the point. Right? I can't help my children get oxygen to breathe if I don't have oxygen to breathe. And this is kind of the point here. Right? We cannot disciple or lead our children in a walk with the Lord if we're not walking with the Lord. Right? That's the point of, that's why verses 4 and 5 Again, before he ever gets into any of the nuts and bolts of, of discipling our children, it starts with our relationship with God. Right? If we do not have an authentic, genuine relationship with the Lord, it's going to be nearly impossible to lead our children to do the same. Right? When it comes to family discipleship, being comes before doing. Right? Being a disciple comes before making disciples of our children. Mom and Dad, your identity as a child of God precedes your activity in leading your own children. And so, so before, we're going to get into some really practical things here in a minute, but we got to start here. The first question is if we're going to disciple our children in their walk with the Lord, the question is, is this, do you have a relationship with the Lord? Are you walking with the Lord? Because um, you, can be a, you can be a good parent apart from that, but, but you will not be able to disciple your children in the, in the ways that we're going to talk about here in a minute apart from a genuine, authentic, vibrant, not perfect. Okay, I would argue that, that your relationship is better modeled when it's imperfect. So that Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm, I'm getting ahead. But the point is this. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Not do you know about God, but do you know him personally? Right, have, you, have you ever trusted in Jesus for the salvation of your soul, for the forgiveness of your sin? Because if not, that's where family discipleship starts. Right? Because you cannot lead your family or your children deeper into something that, that you've never experienced for yourself. Right? And so I say that not in condemnation, I say that if, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that after the service is over this morning. I would love to show you how you can have a relationship with the Lord and, and what that means for you personally. But, but that is the first step. That is where family discipleship starts. So with that said, uh, my guess is that a lot of us in this room would be able to say yes to that question. Yes, there's been a time where I've repented of my sin. I've put my trust in Jesus. I'm not... 
I'm not a perfect follower of Jesus, but I am a follower of Jesus. And so to you all, which I think is probably a lot of us in this room, is just this. How does your relationship with the Lord affect your daily life? Right? How, does your relation, how does your walk with the Lord affect you in the day to day, like the, the everyday, wake up, go through your day? Like how does your relationship with the Lord affect your day at a, at a ground level? Because an essential part of family discipleship is living faithfully. Right? Family discipleship overflows from your walk with the Lord as you live faithfully. So look at verse 6. It says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Right, so on your heart. The, the, that phrase is significant because in the Bible, the, the heart is often referred to as kind of the, the center of a person's being. Right? And we still say that today. Right? We still say things like, follow your heart. Although the Bible would tell you that's a terrible idea. But you get, you get the point, right? We use that language. Uh, the heart is the center of your will, your emotions is how we use that language. And so uh, th- this is what he's saying here, that God's law right, should be on our hearts as parents. Now this is in contrast to, like when you, you flip back in Exodus, we, we are introduced to God's law and it's written on what? Tablets. All right, stone Tablets. And the, the, the difference here is for God's law to be written not just on tablets but on our hearts is that we don't just know the law all right, or, or have it memorized in a list of, you know, for the, the Ten Commandments, for example, which is just part of the law. Right? It goes beyond just knowledge of or, or apprehension. It, it goes to living it out. All right, when something is, is on your heart, right, it, it, it's... You live it out. It affects who you are in the day-to-day. So to connect this to family discipleship, uh, how many of you guys have heard the phrase, uh, sometimes more is caught than taught? Right? That's, that's true with our children. Uh, now, the teaching is important, and we are going to get to that in a minute, but, but that being uh, trained or discipled by example is kind of the idea here, right? That... Uh, that, that as we live out God's law, as it's written on our heart, and we live in obedience to it, it affects our lives like at an everyday ground level. Right? When, when we do that, mom and dad, in imperfect but consistent ways, what we're doing is we're giving our children an example to look to. Right? Family discipleship overflows from our walk with the Lord as we uh, live Faithfully, and let me. This is another quote from that uh, study I told you about just a minute ago. It says, "What makes every other influence besides parents pale into virtual insignificance is the importance of the religious beliefs and practices of American parents in their ordinary lives, not only on holy days, but every day throughout weeks and years." So, listen, it's not always the spiritual highs that will uh, shape our children the most. I'm all for spiritual highs. I love kids camp. I love student camp. I spent a good chunk of my life the last nine years in student ministry, trying to create environments and spaces for kids and students to learn about Jesus. But according to the research, 
and even according to God's word, our, our children are not necessarily going to be shaped by some big, high emotional moment at a, at a camp or a VBS as good and important as those things are. Right, our children are shaped by the everyday, what we see as mundane tasks every day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, as we live imperfectly but faithfully according to God's law written on our hearts. Right? It's as we, we worship. Right? Just that steady rhythm of, of worship, whether it's privately in your home or uh, corporately on, on a Sunday morning with God's people, uh, how you serve okay, for your children to see, the ways that you serve other people, uh, how you live generously uh, with, with other people. Like th- those are all ways that our children see us live faithfully. Okay? It's, it's the mundane. Right? It's the everyday, day after. It's just, it's just the grind of parenting, right? But it's parenting as we live faithfully out of the overflow of our walk with the Lord. And so if I had time, I would go into like all these different ways that we could model this for our kids. But, but one of the things I do want to point out is just um, one of the most powerful examples I think we can set for our kids is just repentance, right? Repentance. And what I mean by that is our kids need to know that we're not perfect. Now, here's our kids know we're not perfect, okay? They they know that. Spoiler alert for any kids in the room, okay? Um, Riot doesn't quite understand that yet, but he will someday. We're not perfect as parents. And we know that. Our kids know that. But one of the best examples that we can set for our children is when we blow it. Right? So maybe we right, get angry with the spouse in front of the kids and they're like, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, or maybe we snap at uh, a kid because they've asked the same question for the 19th time in a row, expecting a different answer. Right? Um, one of the most powerful examples that we can give in those moments where we sin and fall short it's when we repent in ways that our kids can see. Okay, Now, obviously, use discretion. You don't need to disclose everything to your children. Okay, But, but when you, you sin in ways that your children see, or maybe you sin against your children, one of the most powerful things I think we can do as parents is, is to model repentance by confessing our sin to God before them, but then also confessing to our kids when we sin against them. Hey, Buddy, I'm sorry I snapped at you at the dinner table earlier. I don't know what was going on with me. I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? And here's why that's powerful is because and I, our hope for our kids is not that they would just be like well-behaved children, although we want that, right? At least I want that. Um, but but my, and my hope and I, your hope for your kids, I think, is not that they would just be well-behaved but that they would ultimately place their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. Right? And so and when, we, when we blow it, when we sin, and we get to model repentance for them, what we're doing is we are modeling to our children what it means to trust Jesus as Savior. Right? There's no better way to, to point our children towards their need for a Savior than for us to say, hey, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I need a Savior. And we get to model that for them in our 
repentance. So anyways, we could go on. We could talk about worship. We could talk about serving. We could talk about uh, generosity and giving. Um, but, but all these are ways that we model for our children what it means to live in relationship with the Lord. Right? We're not going to do it perfectly. Right? We're not going to nail it all the time. But the consistent day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year walk with the Lord as consistently and as faithfully as we know how in front of our children. And what better example is there than that? All right, so discipleship is living faithfully, right? But it's also teaching diligently. So look at verse 7. It says, You shall teach them, being, being the words that, that are on our heart, God's word, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. All right, so the first thing he says there is you shall teach them. All right, these words, God's words written on our hearts are to be taught to our children. So yes, we live them out. We live right, more as caught than taught. We want them to catch it as we live it out. But we also have to teach it because an important part of discipleship is teaching. Right, which I'm thankful for because I like to teach. Okay? Uh, ideally, one of the reasons that you graciously give to Valley Creek and support and, and pay pastors and teachers is because right, we're trained to teach. And teaching is a part of discipleship. And the same thing is, is true in our homes. Right? We disciple our children. Part of that is, is teaching. Um, look at verse... I'm sorry, this is Matthew 28. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. So Jesus' huge kind of overarching call to make disciples in verse uh, 19 of Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So when Jesus called his disciples to go make disciples, it was teach them. Right? Yes, live faithfully, of course, that is implied, but teach them all that I have commanded you. Right? And, and the same is true in our homes, like parents. We are the primary teachers in the lives of our children. Right? When it comes to spiritual matters, we are the primary teachers. This is not a job to be outsourced to the church. Now hear what I'm saying. I believe in children's ministry. I believe in student ministry. I believe they are valuable um, supplements, but parents are to be the primary teachers of their children when it comes to, to spiritual formation. And so maybe that freaks you out, especially if you spent any time over the last um, year trying to be a teacher in your home because of the pandemic. All right, anybody? Anybody have like, nobody, you guys have all got grown kids. Okay, you guys are no fun. I need some, some young people in here. All right, but, but anyways, the, it, the idea of like, oh man, I'm supposed to be the primary teacher of my child, right? that, that, can, that can be anxiety-inducing, but thankfully he gives us some, some clarity around that. Right? It gets really practical here, so it's not so overwhelming. It says this in, um, yeah, it's going on in verse 7. Right? You shall teach them diligently to your children. So teach God's words to our children. And you shall talk of them. 
when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. All right, so, so part, of, part of teaching involves talking. Now, I personally don't have a problem talking. You've probably caught that by now. Right? But part of us teaching our children involves actually communicating the truth of God's Word to our children. Right? Think God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. Right? He has spoken His Word by His Holy Spirit to the authors of the Bible. This is how He communicates with us. And in the same way, man, this is how we teach and train our children is, is at least in part by talking. Right? Conversations. Right? Here's what, again, going back to the study that I referenced on the front side. It says, uh, a, a, a trait, one trait of parents who successfully pass on religious faith and practice to their children is that as a normal part of family life during the week, they talk with their children about religious things. What they believe and practice, what it means and implies, and why it matters to them. In such families, religion is part of the warp and woof. I don't know what that phrase means, but I like it. Uh, part of the warp and woof of everyday life. It comes and goes and talk easily. It is not compartmentalized in certain slots of the week, nor is it an unusual or awkward topic. It is part of who we are and what we care about. This does not mean that, that such families talk about religion all the time, but it does indicate to children that religion matters and that it is relevant enough to the rest of life that it should arise normally in ordinary discussions of any number of topics. Again, this is a matter of parents and families being authentically who and what they are, not suddenly deciding to sermonize. So right up there with the importance of parents' personal religious faith and the consistency of their religious practice is this variable. How much religion is talked about at home during the week? Children who later in life practice some form of their parents' religion report that religion was a frequent topic of discussion at home during their youth. And those who say that religion was seldom or never discussed are much less likely to be very religious later on. All right, so again, all this study is doing is just reaffirming what we know to be true from God's Word. All right, look at, again at verse 7. You shall teach them God's Word diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them. And then it's going to give us some opportunities here. It says, when you sit in your house... Right? When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Right? So let's just look at those, each one. First, when you sit in your house. Right? Your time together as a family in your home is a great opportunity to be used to just talk about God. Right? This doesn't mean you have to like come up with a... Uh, uh, a three-point sermon to give your kids over the dinner table, I would actually say that's probably not going to fly, at least with my kids. Right, do, do, we can't even pray at dinner time without somebody stabbing somebody else with a fork. You know what I'm saying? So, so like, but, but just leveraging these opportunities in your home. Okay, now listen, I know we got busy schedules. Everybody's going a bunch of different directions. But here's uh, just practical. What about using a family meal as just a time to have a spiritual conversation? And I say spiritual conversation because I'm not saying, again, you have to bring even a Sunday school lesson to dinner. 
know, you just have a conversation and let that, let that be opportunity to, to kind of redirect that towards maybe uh, applying God's truth to some situation in your kid's life. Right? Maybe they're having some kind of trouble or anxieties and you can, hey, well, here's what God's word has to say about that. And again, that points back to you needing to be familiar with God's word, your walk with the Lord, right? It overflows out of that. But just using those everyday moments in your home to talk with your children about the things of the Lord. I right, know, listen, I'm just going to set, set the bar low here. Again, don't expect a revival the first time. Maybe the Lord would do that. I don't know. Again, I just know in my home, like spiritual discussions with my children last about four to five minutes. Because anything much longer than that, and it's chaos. But it's better than nothing. And those four to five minutes, day after day after day after day, those add up to a lot of time. Right? So when you sit in your house, next thing it says is when you walk by the way. Now for the original audience, remember this is like way thousands and thousands of years ago, so we're talking the original audience when you walk by the way, it was just how they basically throughout the day as they went from, from one place to the next. Right? Now, we don't do a lot of walking now unless there's still a gas shortage. Um, unless all the gas hoarders buy up the gas and we might be walking some more. By the way, this is aside from this. I had to mow the yard this week and I didn't have gas. So I had to take my gas jug to the, the gas pump to put gas in it. I have never felt more shame and condemnation. Like, I, I felt like I needed a sign on my shirt that was like, I promise I'm just mowing my yard. All right? Um, if you hoard gas, no offense. Sorry. Um, but anyways, squirrel. Um, right? Just redeeming the travel time. Right? So again, we don't do a lot of walking anymore, but, but we do drive, right, from... School, back and forth to school, back and forth to sports practices, back and forth to uh, church. Those are opportunities to redeem for spiritual conversations, spiritual habits. So in uh, just kind of in in our home, when when I was taking the kids to school every morning, um, they knew we got in a habit. Every time I turned on a certain road, it was prayer time. We would all take turns praying just for the day ahead. Uh, usually I even kept my eyes open. It was awesome. Um, but but just redeeming those moments in the car. Like So on the way home from church today, it's as simple as just saying, hey, what did you learn about at church? And I would encourage you to use the word like, what did you learn about? Not just did you have fun, but like to keep the conversation spiritual. Hey, what did you learn at church today? And let that be a conversation. Who knows where it might go? Right, but you do that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. That's going to create some opportunities for you to have spiritual conversations with your children in your car. Right? And here's what makes car rides a really good opportunity. Is your kids are trapped. <laughs> Unless they have plans of jumping out of a moving vehicle, they can't get away from that conversation. So uh, anyways, so we got when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and then it says, when you lie down and, and when you rise, the, the language there is just basically this idea of, of the entire day 
presents an opportunity for you to teach your children about God's Word. And again, this, this is not to say that every moment, every conversation has to be spiritually significant. Right? If you can do that, kudos to you. But what I am saying is, is just every, like, every moment of every day, right, we should look for opportunities to have spiritual conversations with our children. So I got, I got one kid that absolutely loves being outside. He loves animals. He loves all that stuff. I've told you, Henry, he's the one that's going to get hit by a car because he chases butterflies out into the road. But like when we're outside doing that kind of thing, it's, it's as simple as bringing up these conversations like, hey, who do you think created all this stuff? Right? And he may give some off-the-wall answer sometimes, but as he's been trained and, and discipled a little bit through the years, he knows this is... Oh, God created all this. Yeah, that's right. Just, just these different things that happen throughout the day present opportunities for us to take God's word, which should be on our hearts, again, going back to the beginning, and have those conversations, teach those things to our children. Because spiritual formation doesn't just happen in a one-hour time slot on a Sunday morning. Right? It's, it's all throughout the day. When you lie down, when you rise, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you go from place to place, like all of existence with your children is an opportunity to teach them. Live it out faithfully in front of them, but, but to teach them God's word. And then look at the last couple of verses. Verses 8 and 9. It says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Talking about God's word still, His commands. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That, that language here is it's kind of metaphorical. Uh, even though there were some more of the conservative Jews that would actually like write God's law and hang it on these little things like from their foreheads and all that. But, but the point is it's a metaphor for like our homes, our families should just be environments where God's word, God's commands uh, are, are like they're, they're just consistently happening all around us. Right? For it to be written on our hands is for us to just live in such a way. Right? That, again, we're living faithfully according to God's word. For it to be written on our foreheads is just this idea of, of us thinking in a way. Right? We want to process information in our homes. We want to lead in such a way that we're leading out of, out of obedience to God's words. All right, for it to be written on, uh, on our, our doorposts and our gates is just that our homes would be places where God's word is central. All right, where where his, his word is continually being lived out, being talked about, being taught. God's word is the centerpiece of our home. And so... I'm going to attempt an illustration, which I'm admittedly not good at. Do you guys like uh, cooking or, or at least eating food that's been cooked in a crock pot? Yeah, okay. So when it, here's my illustration, imperfect as it might be. When it comes to sort of the spiritual formation of your children and the spiritual environment of your home, so think of your home as a crock pot. All right, and here's what I mean. First of all, as I understand it, I don't cook with a crock pot. You just take all the ingredients, chop them all up, 
throw them all in there at one time. Right? Just turn it on and let it go. All right, so in the same way, our homes should be places where we take all these different sort of ingredients of spiritual formation. Right? Our worship, our Bible reading, our praying, our teaching, our serving, our generosity, our repentance. We take all these ingredients and we just throw them all in there. Right? And then we let them cook together towards the end result. Being children that walk with the Lord. Right? We want to take all these ingredients and just put them in there together in, in hopes that, that maybe they might just cook up into something that's... right. That's what, that's what our home should be. And then the other thing, crockpot meals take a while to cook. Does anybody have anything in the crockpot right now that you're going to eat when you get home later? Nobody. Okay. I, w- I was hoping you'd raise your hand because I want to be like, hey, what do you do? You got, you got any extra seat at your table for lunch? Sure. Um, but like a crockpot meal takes time to cook. You throw it all in there. You set it to the right temperature. And then it just kind of hangs out for a few hours until it's ready. Right? It, it's not a microwave, is what I'm saying. All right, microwave food is okay, I guess, sometimes. But it's much better to have something that's cooked and simmered and you get all the flavors in there together, right? And where I'm going, I'm just getting hungry now. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. The, the point is that spiritual formation, sanctification, it takes time. Right? You're not going to start having spiritual conversations with your children on the ride home and expect them to be a different kid by the time you get to your house. Spiritual growth, sanctification is a lifelong process. Just as the food in a crock pot takes a while to cook, right, it, it takes a while for these things that, we, uh, that we're teaching and training our children in. It's going to take a while for those things to take hold. Right? You know this with anything with children. Any parents have had to tell your children the same thing at least 300 times? Yes. The same is true with spiritual things. You just you keep coming back day after day, week after week, month after month, because spiritual formation is a long process. You, can't, you cannot microwave spiritual growth. Right? You can't. Right? And so then the other thing is this. With a crock pot, one of my favorite things about a crock pot it's when you're cooking in it, like the smell, just it's like the whole house, right? You guys can smell it right now, can't you? You can just, takes you right back to grandma's house. And, and here's, here's kind of connection here. We want our homes to be places. Like when we're teaching and training and discipling our children, we want our homes to be places where, like, like the, the, the aroma of, Living faithfully, right, with, with, in accordance to God's word, uh, walking obedient, in obedience to God's word, teaching God's word. We want our homes to be places where, where the aroma of that just kind of permeates everything. Right? It's not just one moment a week. There's nothing wrong with like nailing down one moment each week and saying, This is going to be our family worship time this week. That's incredible. Right, if, if you can do that, I would, I would push you to that. It's an incredible opportunity to worship with your family in your home. It's really hard with young kids. Right? But, but what I want to, even in addition to that, or more than that, is just every 
area of our homes, every moment in our homes, should just be an environment where our children are being influenced by God's Word, whether it's us just living faithfully in obedience to it, whether it's us teaching it explicitly to our children, whether it's us having conversations that, that point them towards God, right? every area of our home to be like permeated with, with the aroma of loving the Lord and walking in obedience to His commands. So here's where I'll land the plane. Is at the end of the day, as parents, you cannot force your child to become a follower of Jesus. You cannot force your child to become a disciple. You can, you can twist their arm and coerce them, but that's, not, that's called manipulation. And manipulation does not bear fruit, is what I'm getting at. You cannot force your children to follow Jesus. But here's what you can do. You can love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You can live that out perfect, imperfectly. Not perfectly. You will not live it out perfectly. You can live that out imperfectly day after day, week after week, month after month. Right, you, can, you can teach your children diligently. I should have spent some more time on that word. Diligently. Just consistence. Right, with consistency. With perseverance and endurance. Right? You can teach them diligently. You can have conversations with your children. You can take the mundane things of everyday life and use those to, to point them towards the God who loves them and cares for them and sent His Son to die on the cross for their sins. You can model repentance for your children. You can model worship. You can do all these things. Right? You cannot force them to follow Jesus. But you can put all the ingredients there. Right? You can, day after day, you can plant seed after seed after seed after seed. You can come back day after day and water those seeds and just pray like crazy that God gives the growth. That's what you can do. All right, so you pray with me this morning. So Father, we come to you um, just this moment and just want to recognize the, the, the significance of this task that you have uh, entrusted us as parents to teach our children to love you, uh, to follow you, to walk in obedience to your word. And so, Father, I, I pray just first this morning for those of us that, that are still in this, this phase of raising up children. Um, I, I pray, Father, that you would help us to live faithfully. I pray that you would help us to teach diligently. Uh, and, and, Father, I pray that, that you would help us to do that in ways that our children uh, would see and take notice. Uh, Father, I pray for those in the room that may feel the, the weight of parenting failures. Uh, maybe those with grown children and they look back and just feel maybe the weight of, of their own sin where they failed to, to model or they failed to teach. Or, um, Father, I pray that, that they would know and believe that your mercies are new. I pray that they would know and believe that your grace is sufficient for all things to cover even maybe their perceived inadequacies as parents. And Father, I pray that you would 
You would redeem those maybe years that feel like they've been lost. I pray that you would redeem those. Father, I pray this morning for, uh, for our children. Uh, Lord, maybe just in this moment, pray for prodigals, children that are, that are not walking faithfully with the Lord, that if, uh, maybe are living in, in sin and rebellion. Um, Father, I pray that, that by, you would even use parents uh, as they continue to live faithfully and teach diligently, and they, they live, live out what it looks like to be in relationship with you. I pray, Father, that you would convict the, the, the prodigals of their sin, that they would return to you. And Father, I pray, uh, I just pray for our children in that, or those that, that have not come to know you yet as Savior, that you would, Lord, I pray that you would save them. I pray that you would, uh, through the efforts of parents, through the efforts of our church, Lord, that, that our children would not be able to escape the reality that there is a God who loves them, that there is a God who sent Jesus to the cross to pay the full penalty for their sin. And I pray that they would come to believe that. And I pray that they would understand what Jesus did for them and that they would place their trust in Him. And so, Father, I pray that You would just help us uh, to live as You have called us to live, as the the primary spiritual influences in the lives of our children. So Lord, we love you. We pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.